0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today will actually be the final installment of our Controversial Christ series, amen? So I think it's just been such an incredible time of challenge and conviction to my heart personally, I'm sure to many of you. And I'm just so thankful that um, the words of Jesus, uh, they heal, um, but they also can cut, but they cut in a way that heals too, much like a surgeon, amen? Yeah. And so uh, just, I'm just so grateful for that. Um, so before we get into the text, let me just kind of introduce to you the direction that we're going. Now, Whether, whether you're a follower of Christ in this room, you know, whether you trust the scriptures or maybe you consider yourself to be more of a skeptic and, and maybe you kind of lean on the side of science. Not that scripture and science compete with one another, to be honest. But uh, maybe, maybe you find yourself, you, you don't trust the scriptures or the, you're a skeptic when it comes to the scriptures and so you prefer to lean on science. Um, let me just say this, when it comes to unforgiveness both scripture and science would agree um, that unforgiveness can destroy you. It can destroy you. In fact, uh, there's a research project done by the Stanford, it was called the Stanford Forgiveness Project, not um, very creative, but the Stanford Forgiveness Project uh, reported this. Uh, Though the act may not come natural to us, research shows learning to forgive lessens the amount of hurt, anger, stress, and depression people experience. People who learn to forgive also become more hopeful, optimistic, and compassionate. Forgiveness also has health benefits. People who learn to forgive report significantly fewer symptoms of stress, such as backache, muscle tension, headaches, dizziness, and upset stomachs. Now, some of y'all probably think I got all of that all the time. In addition, people report improvements in appetite, sleep patterns, energy, and general well-being. And I'm sure if forgiveness could lose you some weight, more of you would probably be doing it. (laughs) The Mayo Clinic, again, not very creative here. Here's what they reported in their findings. They said forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships greater spiritual and psychological well-being, less anxiety, amen, stress, less hostility, and it can lower blood pressure. People who learn to forgive deal with fewer symptoms of depression and can even lower your risk for alcohol and substance abuse. Now, here's the thing is, if you thought, rightfully so, that that research was heavy, um, And I want you to listen to the words of Christ in today's controversial statement. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 15. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I want you to see this. Not only does unforgiveness threaten to damage your life here and now, but it also threatens to destroy our eternity. Now, hang with me here. In a broader sense, okay, in this room, in a broader sense, there are probably two kinds of unforgiveness sitting in this room today, in a broader sense. Let let me tell you what I mean by that. There might be a small portion of you in here today. There might be a few of you in here today who've been sinned against in such a traumatic way that most of us in this room would probably not be able to comprehend or even imagine the pain. Now, I want you to hear me. As a result, uh, your wounds are, are deep. Your wounds are deep to your core, and your difficulty to forgive, listen to me, it's understandable. It's understandable. But I want to say this as gently and as compassionate as possible. And this is not a cliche. What is impossible for man is possible for God. I believe that the Holy Spirit can use the beauty of the gospel to transform a heart that has been deeply traumatized into a living, life-giving, forgiving follower of Christ. Now listen, let this truth give you some hope that what you think right now is impossible to do Is possible to do. Now, there are many others in the room, if not most all of us, who may fall into this next category. You know, those of us in this room that like to hold grudges, uh, you like to deploy the weaponry of silent, you know, uh, the silent treatments. Come on, any husbands, huh? Can we just raise your hands real quick? Any husbands dealing with, yeah, my dad, that's, I love that. Any, any, and you get the silent treatment? Relationships, you know, it's like, you know, I may go for a couple of days in the same house and we're not talking. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Right? So there, there are many of us in this room, thank God for the honest people who raised their hand, but all of you would agree that we uh, acquire grudges, we deploy the weaponry of silent treatments. Uh, And and we we hold bitterness inside, and it is a routine, regularly, weekly, monthly thing that you've always done. And there's no trauma, deep trauma connected to it. It's just that people get on your nerves. It's just that people don't say the right thing. It's just that there's certain people that know how to get you. (laughs) Right? It's, It's just daily routines. You went to connect, and you're offended. Never went back. You're back today, but you've been missing church for a while because you're offended. Now you're not going to come back again because we're talking this conversation. You get what I'm talking about? Now, now here, here's what's really important. I think oftentimes when we talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness, we immediately begin to think of people who've gone through trauma and some deep sense of pain. And, 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 and we begin to kind of turn off. Uh, uh, this, is not, this is for them. This is not for us. But can I, can I suggest to you today that um, although you may not have experienced something significantly traumatic, um, even though you, per- you perceive um, some of these things as little offenses, when these little offenses are, are piled up and collected and held onto, they can literally become poison to your soul and lead to continual spiritual decay. I want you to listen to an excerpt from an article, just to kind of drive this home, um, written by Andrew Peterson in the World Magazine. She describes, unfortunately, a familiar truth that happens more often than us churchy folk. <laughs> like to admit. Now, if you're not a churchy folk, if you don't go to church a lot, you can just sit back and relax, but if you're a churchy folk, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to read this, and this is not something we like to admit, but uh, I think it rings very true. Listen, she says, in church, I happen to sit down behind a woman who doesn't like me. <laughs> she used to, but then we disagreed in a Sunday school class. And her countenance has changed ever since. Let me pause right there. You, you can feel when somebody's got an issue with you, right? Can't you? I was just telling my wife on the way here. You ever been hit with the sub-zero? Now, let me explain to you what the sub-zero is. For for you gamers in the room, you're probably familiar what sub-zero is, right? For the rest of us cool people, we don't. And so. <laughs> Sub-Zero is a character on Mortal Kombat, dressed all in blue, kind of like a ninja, and he has these special abilities to freeze people mid-fight and then go and do whatever he wants and attack. And they can unfreeze and but he has this ability to freeze people, right? He can, I think he can breathe free with his breath. Maybe he can breathe free. He can freeze people that way. He, he kind of does a hadouken, don't know what it's called, but he can freeze you with that. And it's just, it's so cold, and it's just, you can feel it. I mean, have you ever experienced that? You kind of know when somebody, a husband's, maybe your spider senses are tingling, right? It's just things aren't the way they're supposed to be. You ever went to church and just you got hit with the freeze? Somebody just kind of gave you, you went in for the hug, and they denied you, Uh, you went this way, they went that way really quickly, right? I'm sure most of you would know that. She goes on to say, it occurred to me, and she's talking about being in church, it occurred to me during the opening hymn that halfway through the service, there was a 50-50 chance we could have to interact at the greeting time. Sound like somebody from Inspire wrote this. (laughs) Of course, right, of course, it was possible that she would chat with the person in front of her and we would both be spared the encounter. The writer goes on to say, on one level, you have the safe and predictable liturgy going on. On the other level, the pews are fraught with dangers and simmering axes and alliances. If angels can read the minds of the faithful in the sanctuary, what do they glean of the state of Christendom? Here's my prayer for you today. Whether you have faced extreme trauma or everyday offense, my prayer is that you would see the gospel more clearly this morning. And that the clarity of the gospel gospel would empower you by God's spirit to learn to let go and forgive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is a difficult subject. Nonetheless, a subject that we are called to embrace and not avoid for our own good. So I pray that you would speak to every heart, every mind in this room from those who are dealing with regular, ordinary issues of life, or for those that are, have experienced traumatic issues, Lord, I just, Holy Spirit, I pray it would be no but triggered. I pray that in the name of Jesus, for your honor and for your glory, we would move more to look like Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we actually get into Matthew 18, I just kind of want to give you a, a, just the context of the entire chapter. Uh, this chapter is characterized by... Th- three questions that the disciples pose to Jesus Christ, okay? There are three questions that kind of characterize this entire chapter. The first question that the disciples ask Jesus is this, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, if you know Jesus, I'm not sure that's the greatest question you want to ask him. but nonetheless, uh, the disciples are wondering, how do you be the greatest? How can you be first? How can you be the best? Who is the greatest uh, in the kingdom? And, and in response to this, I love what Jesus does. Jesus calls to himself a little child, and and with the little child next to him, he looks at his disciples and he says to them, unless you become childlike, please don't misunderstand. Jesus didn't say childish, because I think that's how we carry our offenses. He says, unless you become childlike, you uh, cannot inherit the kingdom. And then the next question that is posed to Jesus is this. What do I do when my Christian brother or my Christian sister offends me? What do I do when a brother offends me? What do I do when another Christian offends me? Well, Jesus will give them a formula that I think is shocking to the church today on many levels because in a lot of levels, the church doesn't really practice formalized church discipline. And so when you hear this, this may be a little bit of a shock to you, but I'm hoping that this shock would be a positive thing for you to understand uh, how important it is for us to forgive one another as Christians believers and followers of Christ so Jesus gives them a formula you ready number one first thing he says approach them privately approach them privately and in that private approach it's a great time to say hey look uh, this is how I'm feeling Uh, there's something that you did to hurt me and to explain to them what that is now I love this Jesus adds If they've listened, you've gained a brother. Isn't that beautiful? If you've listened, you gained a brother. In other words, the goal of this private confrontation is not argument, it's not debate, but it's reconciliation. Are you with me? The goal of this private dialogue is not to argue, to win, to prove your point or to debate, but the ultimate desire of Christ is for you to what? Gain your sister, gain your brother. Now, sometimes that doesn't work. So Jesus continues, if they refuse, then there's a second thing that you must do. Go again, but this time bring a witness. Now, can I just explain what a witness is? Not a homie. <laughs> not your homegirl. You were talking trash about her, right? Not, not someone that's got your back just in case it goes a little sideways. I know where some of you live. That's how you dealt with it in the past. That's not what a person who's been transformed by Christ, that's not how you deal with it. Not bring a family or not bring somebody who's ready for war, Right? but bring someone who's wise and, listen, willing to mediate and help you maybe both navigate towards a loving outcome. Again, what's the goal? To gain, to gain, to gain a brother, to gain a sister. Now, Jesus says if they refuse, he says go public. Now, immediately, some of you thinking Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, Twitter, Some of you need to be rebuked of that. Amen? Stop airing your grievances on Facebook, all right? Some of you are the most most passive-aggressive people I've ever seen, right? (laughs) Status update. Don't you just hate when you go to a party and your friend is, yeah. So let me explain what going public means. Bring your grievance, and Jesus says, before the church. This This is interesting stuff. Now, whether it's the elders, the leaders of the church, or or, or the membership of the church, Uh, listen, the goal for this step is to humble a stubborn heart. The goal for this next step is to humble the heart that is showing an unwillingness to repent. Now, Jesus says, if they refuse, the final step is the most drastic step and that step is excommunication. In other words, remove the relationship. And, and, and he gives this to the church, not just to an individual, but he says, remove, remove their membership from the body of Christ. Because the way that are, they're acting is not demonstrating what it looks like to be a part of the body. Now that seems very harsh to a lot of us because we're not used to that, but let me just say this. I want you to keep in mind, every step is meant to heal the offended and forgive the offender. Every step is meant to heal the offended and forgive the offender. Finally, Peter, thank God for Peter, y'all. Peter, Peter asks, another question and of course it would be Peter the classic overachiever maybe says too much too soon too quickly any Peters in the building you might be saying what everyone else is thinking you're the first one to put your foot in your mouth but thank God for Peter because if it wasn't for Peter we wouldn't get such great teaching from Jesus so I love y'all love you Peters in the house I'm one of those Peter says well how many times do we got to do this Right? How many times do we have to do this? And, and again, Peter being the overachiever, he, he, he says, uh, he suggests uh, you know seven times. And, and, and you know, if you don't really understand the context here, let me just explain to you, Jewish tradition said you give people three. Three strikes, you're out. That's what Jewish tradition said. And I don't have time to go too deep in that, but here's what Peter did. He doubled tradition and added one. Right? That a boy. He's like, I got this. I got this. I've been hanging with Jesus. My heart is transformed. Like I'm more of a forgiving person. It's so double, double tradition. Add the one. Seven. And then Jesus responds to Peter, no, 70 times seven. Yeah. Now, just so you know, Jesus isn't suggesting that you start keeping count. And when you get to 490, <laughs> right, not, four, not 488 or 489, but 490, when you're there, bam, we're done. That's not what he's suggesting. He it really, with a little bit of wit and humor, he's taking a number that Peter kind of randomly projects and he just kind of throws it out there. And, and ultimately, I want you to hear what Christ is really saying. He's saying as many times as it takes. As many times as it takes. Now, at this point, Jesus will tell a parable to drive home, to drive this home. And this is where we'll jump into Scripture and we'll take the rest of our time together, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 23 through 35, 23 through 35. Are you ready? Here we go. Therefore, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me give you a little perspective because I'm sure you don't understand what that means. Uh, Basically, uh, this number is equivalent to something like you saying like a zillion dollars, right? It's this, this maximum amount of number that ultimately is too high and too impossible for anyone to pay. So in verse 25, Jesus says, and since he could not pay, right, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That's a lie, but he's doing whatever he can to get out of it. And out of pity for him, uh, out of pity for him, the master of that servant. Ready? Released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's just one day's worth of wage. There's a difference here. Do you see that? A huge difference, an insurmountable difference. And he seized him and he began to choke him. My God, this guy has an anger problem. And he says to him, he says, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master had summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, here's the point. Jesus concludes so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, for the rest of our time together, I want to answer what I think are four critical questions that come up out of this parable. Four critical questions. If you're following along, I'm going to give them to you ahead of time. Question number one, what is forgiveness? What is it? Question number two, what what makes it so difficult? What makes it so difficult to do? Question number three, does my salvation really depend on it? Does our salvation really depend on us forgiving others? And finally, question number four, uh, where do I start? How do I even begin forgiving someone who has deeply offended me? Are you ready? (laughs) Ready or not, here I come. So what is is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, if you remember the story, in the story forgiveness is compared to the canceling of an insurmountable financial debt. And it would virtually be impossible for us to really understand what that is because that debt was so great, but it would be kind of like all of a sudden, your student loans, anybody with student loans, will be paid off. It's such a heavy deal. In fact, a lot of people will graduate college and spend the first several years of their career just trying to pay that thing down. It would be like you waking up and all of a sudden, that debt has been completely forgiven. Or does it, maybe waking up one day and that, that mortgage, that house payment, all of a sudden, suddenly has been completely paid off can you imagine how that would change your life you're all yes Lord now listen (laughs) to forgive someone then is to release them from the burden of having to pay you back to release them from the burden of having to pay you back it means are you ready to let go it means to let go. It means to set free. It means to no longer hold on to it against them. Uh, and this is important. When we forgive from the heart, it also means, are you ready for this? To begin to wage war against the temptation to hold the grudge to wage war against the temptation to employ and deploy the silent treatment to wage war against the temptation to hold on to bitterness. And I want to say we we all battle with forgiving. There's no one in this room that does not battle with it. Forgiveness is can be such a long process of learning to forgive, right, over and over again. In fact, can I just say this, and I'm not giving you permission, but I am giving you some relief according to what the gospel would say. Uh, As long as you and I are in the flesh, are you with me? Forgiveness will never be easy, right? But, and here's a big important, what destroys us is when we find ourselves Settled in a posture of unforgiveness. What destroys us is when we firmly find ourselves settled in a posture of offense with no intention to ever release someone of the trespass against us. And, and here's the challenging part. How and can we be followers of Christ, indwelled by his spirit, and still unwilling to make war against that kind of an attitude? Right? The next question. So what what makes forgiveness so difficult? Why is it so hard to do? and i'm sure there are many reasons for this and i'm not going to be able to get all of them but i just decided to include a few reasons that i felt might be in this room today it might be helpful i'm going to give you five reasons why i think forgiving is so difficult to do number 1 people don't forgive because sometimes they're simply not ready they're not ready to forgive What do I mean by that? The pain. The pain is is too deep. The offense is too horrific. It's too close. Uh, Even thinking about it makes me sick. Maybe even being in this room and hearing this sermon, I, 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 I empathize with you. This might be tough for you, and you just don't feel ready. And to you, I gently and humbly say there's hope. There's hopeful news. Let this news be medicine to your soul. Forgiveness is a process, which means it doesn't need to be instantaneous. Sometimes, are you ready? Hear me out. Sometimes the process begins with you throwing yourself at the mercy of Jesus and in a deep cry for help, acknowledging, I know what your word says, but I know what I feel right now, and it feels impossible. So, Lord, I need you. It's impossible for me to forgive without you. Sometimes that's the first place you need to go to. Number two, number two, people don't forgive because they fear of being wronged again. Right? Right? Sometimes the hardest people to forgive are the repeat offenders. And the repeat offenders are only repeat offenders because they're continually in our lives, which normally means it's a family member, a father, a, a mother, a brother, a sister, a, someone you see every week at work or at church. Repeat offenders are difficult to forgive. And so we hold back forgiveness because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be hurt again. And, and to be honest, I don't blame you. Nobody wants to be hurt again. But listen, so to avoid getting hurt over and over again, you put up a wall. And here it is. And your unforgiveness literally becomes your shield of defense. Wow. Wow. I want you to know that Christ and his love is a greater shield of defense. Yeah. 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 If unforgiveness becomes your shield, what you begin to build around you is a very a cold, walled-in city. And it will slowly destroy everything inside of you. Scientifically says here and now, and according to Christ, it says could even keep you in your eternity. Number three. People don't forgive because they desire vengeance. Oh, some! I didn't think I would get that much of a response. I felt like that's the best one so far. You sick people! Just kidding, kidding. I get it. They desire vengeance, and who wouldn't? You hurt me, I hurt you. I wish this upon them, right? Some of you have even said, I don't ever want to see that person, and to be honest, if they just walked across the street and got hit by a car, I wouldn't cry a tear. Right? You desire vengeance, so withholding forgiveness is kind of your form of punishing them. Withholding forgiveness from a person is like punishing them for what they've done to you. But the problem with that The problem with that is you are the judge. The problem with that is you are calling yourself righteous enough to declare not guilty or guilty over someone else. The problem with that is you see yourself as the one who ultimately can hand out punishment as if you are sitting from a place in which you are so superior and righteous. You're not the judge. And secondly, are you ready for this? Holding, withholding forgiveness most of the time hurts you more than it hurts them. So there goes your vengeance idea. Right? I think we've all heard this before. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm-hmm. Number four. People don't forgive because of arrogance and self-righteousness. and and this kind of leaked over from the previous point, and I see this all the time, right? When you refuse to forgive, you know what you're acting like? I'd never do something like that. So you feel justified in ignoring someone. You feel justified in being cold and and rude toward them because you reason I would never do that to anyone, so why would they do that to me? But notwithstanding people who've been through some, terrible trauma, I can understand how this would not apply, but for the most of us in this room who just every day are dealing with our sin nature and our selfishness, uh, what gives you a right to withhold forgiveness from anyone else as if you haven't done that to somebody else? Number five, and this is huge. I think uh, people don't forgive. Because then, to them, forgiving someone feels like they're saying, what you did to me is okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, isn't that one of the most ultimate things? You, you don't forgive because if you do forgive, you essentially feel like you're saying what you yeah. did to me was okay. You're letting them off the hook too easy. So we, what do we do? We hold on to our roots of bitterness. And that bitterness validates our pain but I I guess to wrap this section up in a bow if you didn't hear anything this is would be very important for you to hear the underlining reason that motivates all these other reasons is this what's the driving reason behind all these other reasons are you ready for this we don't forgive because we've either forgotten or haven't taken seriously how Christ has forgiven us. We don't forgive because we've either forgotten, we haven't considered, or we haven't taken seriously just how much Christ has forgiven us. So here's what I want to do. I want to land today's message. I want to conclude today's message by answering our final two questions. Number one, does our salvation depend upon our forgiving? And number two, how do we forgive? Where do we even start? I'd like to remind you, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive forgive your trespasses does this mean if i don't forgive others i cannot receive salvation does this mean that if i don't forgive my offender am i disqualified from entering into the kingdom and being in eternity with the saints and being in eternity with my heavenly father and with christ Now, let me make this clear, and I feel like we try to make this clear every week, and it's so important, and we'll make it clear every week until the day Jesus comes back or the day this church shuts down. You and I are saved by grace alone. And we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection for you. We are not saved by our works, so there is nothing you and I can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you and I can do to deserve the favor of God, including forgiving others. Feel a little better? But, and this is vital, a genuine faith in Jesus Somebody who is authentically, genuinely moved by Christ, moved by his gospel, a genuine faith in Jesus. Are you ready? Should produce inside of us a genuine desire to submit to his will. Trusting Jesus says, I'm trusting your words. When we trust someone and they give us advice, we trust their advice. When we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus, we're saying even though it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel good, I'm not gonna go off feeling, I'm gonna submit and trust in the one, Jesus Christ. You with me? So a genuine faith in Jesus should produce inside of us a genuine desire to submit to his will. Now look, even though our willingness to forgive does not save us, it does reflect whether or not our faith is genuine and our salvation is true. You see that? see the difference there? Even though forgiving someone doesn't save us, the fact that we can forgive someone reflects that our faith is true, that Christ is number one, that his words mean more to me than anything else. And this might be a little catchy, but this is more crucial than it is catchy, okay? So hear me out. A forgiven people should be a forgiving people. A forgiven people should be a forgiving people. And I'm going to invite the team to make their way up as we get ready just to spend the rest of our time together in prayer. A forgiving people, I'm sorry, a forgiven people should be a forgiving people. Listen, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. You hear that? An unforgiving heart is a heart that has yet to receive the forgiveness of God. Because when you have genuinely received God's forgiveness and when you have genuinely understood the depths of your depravity, how much you have infinitely owed him, are you with me? So the final question today, and we're finished, is this. How do we forgive? Philip, I've heard all of this, and to be honest with you, cognitively, I agree. It makes sense in my mind, but my heart doesn't want to do it. My feelings don't want to do it. My emotions don't want to do it. Uh, How do I do this? Where do I start? And to be honest with you, I would never even think this, but because I'm sitting in the room today and I love Jesus more than I love anything else, I'm actually contemplating for the very first time in my life to release and let go of something that i knew was going to stay with me for the rest of my life. So how do i do it? How do i do it? Where do i start? Here's the secret sauce. Are you ready? It's impossible to forgive someone who has terribly betrayed you unless you first trust and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's impossible It is impossible to conjure up a feeling of forgiveness and release and letting go of somebody who has terribly, painfully wounded you without first you being radically transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Let me tell you why when you see with your heart, not just with your head right when you see with your heart just how much you've been forgiven are you ready when you see your infinite sin debt against an infinitely righteous god when you see the, the the depravity of your heart when you know that you're just as guilty when you see those things when you see that this Beautiful, glorious, righteous God has then stepped down and determined to pay your infinite debt on your behalf. When you begin to see the beauty of your Savior crucified on the cross, shedding his blood, experiencing death experiencing torment and torture and pain on your behalf because of your sin when you begin to comprehend that with your heart when you begin to stare at that and gaze at that in your mind you can't help you can't help you can't help you can't help it can't help it you, you can't help but radically be transformed you can't help but to look at you can't help but to look at people in, in compassion and, and pity and you you can't help but to be welled up the love of Jesus you can't help it and so the answer today is how do I where do I begin you don't begin by trying to forgive the person you don't begin by doing the work you don't begin by leaving this place and making a phone call sending an email uh, sending out a text let's meet up for coffee and give them the obligatory uh, uh, of I forgive you you don't begin there before you can truly forgive someone notice the parable said from the heart not from the mouth You need a heart change, not a mouth change. Now it's great to do some of those things and those can be next steps, those can be graces God can use in your life to move you forward but the first thing you need to do is to go back into the place where you gaze at the beauty of Jesus and his gospel and you allow that to transform you and you have a deeper understanding of your infinite offense and how much he has forgiven you. Amen. You see, the problem with the servant in Jesus' story, the problem with the servant in Jesus' story is that the master's unfathomable act of forgiveness made no actual impact on his heart. You understand that? The master's unfathomable amount of forgiveness made no impact on his heart. An unforgiveness issue, no matter how much we try to deny it, is a gospel issue. Failing to forgive means you have failed to grasp how beautiful the gospel is. But the good news is you can still repent and believe the gospel. You can still repent and believe. Amen? you can repent and believe. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? What do I repent and believe? What do I believe in? What do I look to? What do I behold? What do I gaze at? What is that thing that's going to transform me through the power of the Holy Spirit? And the gospel is simple. It's that you, an offender, a habitual trespasser, a a sinner. You have offended God. You have rebelled against his goodness. You've denied Christ. You're guilty of an offense towards an infinitely loving, infinitely righteous, infinitely beautiful, infinitely good God. All of us, including myself, we are guilty but in our, de- in our guilt, we're dead in our sin. Jesus Christ stepped down out of eternity, lived a perfect life on your behalf, then took the full weight of our punishment, what we deserve, took it upon himself on our behalf. He took our place. We deserve to be nailed. We deserve hell. But while we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive in Christ. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we did all these things, but because he gave it to us freely. And now if we would repent and believe in this beautiful, beautiful gospel, isn't that good news? Does that make you feel better? If we would repent and believe in this gospel, that beautiful gospel will not only secure your eternity with Christ but even in your here and now begin to transform a heart that is full of poison and drain that poison out so that you can live and be free and let go and be released and pursue the beautiful things that Christ has for you to pursue in this life we everyone in this room we stand before you guilty there's no one in this room that could stand before your perfection and say anything else but I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But we also stand in this room, washed by your blood, redeemed, reconciled to God because of your son Jesus Christ. I didn't deserve it, in fact, I continually in my life have offended you. But your gospel compels me to love you. And in that loving and in that trusting, you're transforming, you're renewing, you're recreating, you're making new. And so I will continue to love and trust in the gospel. I will continue to repent and believe, Lord, I will not create, I will not renew. It's not my job to change my behavior. I will behold the beauty of the gospel and allow that through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit to transform my life, to be a loving, forgiving, letting go, releasing person. I release them to you, I I let it go. Vengeance is not mine. I'm not a righteous judge. Lord, I understand the depths of my sin. And so I understand when someone has sinned against me so deeply, I understand that the call of the, the Lord, the call of love over my life is to demonstrate to them what's been demonstrated to me. And so I forgive out of gratitude because of what you've forgiven me so lord i just pray all over this room all over this building those that are struggling so many different issues so many wounds so many pains some i couldn't even begin to imagine i just pray right now in the name of jesus lord we would release from a transformed heart We love you. We love you. We love your word. Don't we love his word? We love your word. We love your word, God. We love your truth. We love your word. Lord, I ask that you would just bless us, be with us. Help us to become a forgiving church, a forgiving people. Help us to forgive one another in this room so that the world would see you, Jesus, in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory.